Hello, everybody. This is Mike Hopkins. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I'm the minister at 17th Street Christian Church in Corbin, and I appreciate you for listening to today's message. Today, we kicked off a brand new sermon series titled The New Exodus. This whole series, we are going to be walking through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and these two books are kind of parallel to each other. And we're basically talking about the story of the Israelites' return to their homeland after being in exile for around 70 years from the Babylonians. Um, and this is a very exciting sermon series because I think many of us are in similar stages to where we may have not been in literal exile, but we may have gone through really difficult seasons or really difficult times, and now maybe life's getting a little bit easier. We're seeing God a little bit more, and the question is, how do we respond? How do we live now? How do we react? How do we spend? How do we give? How do we do whatever it is God's asked us to do in this new phase of life? So I pray um, that you are encouraged today. I pray that you're able to get a little bit closer to God today. So thank you again for listening. We would love to see you on Sunday morning. Our uh, services are every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. Go to our website at www.17scc.com and you can actually watch these services there. Uh, get some other resources, information about the church, um, get to know me a little bit more and get all sorts of other good information there. So again, if you enjoy this message, I ask that you share it with a friend that they may get a little bit closer to God as well. So thanks. <music> 17th Street. If I have not, if not met me, if you're watching online for the first time, my name's Mike. I'm the minister here, and I'm excited to be with you guys today. There are two AA batteries on the pulpit to keep me charged, ready for the sermon, okay? I'm, apparently the coffee didn't work, so I'm going to plug these in. <laughs> that was a bad joke. I'm, just, I'm sorry. Uh, but thank you guys so much for being here today. I don't know about you all, but I enjoyed our Easter um, service and conversation last week. It was great it's to feel God in the house, and I'm going to pick on you just for a second. I mentioned for multiple, multiple weeks that, hey, find someone and invite them here on Easter. We were four shy of 100 people last week. Invite them again next week. Invite them again next week, okay? If you got someone here last week, make them come again next week, okay? And that is my encouragement to you so we can really worship God the way he has asked us to. And also, you know, last week we kind of had a few of the technical difficulties and we didn't get to finish up um, the, t- the testimony by Brother Russell that we shared during the service. Hopefully, you were able to get on Facebook if you're on Facebook and finish watching that video. If you don't have a Facebook, if you go to our church's YouTube account, you can watch it there. If you don't have either of those, come find me. I will let you watch it um, on my computer, okay? Because it's a very powerful story. And I believe, honestly, the reason it didn't work last week was because someone here probably needed to hear it. And Satan found a loophole. He found a hole. So I encourage you to please seek that out. It's very powerful. But today I'm excited because we're starting a brand new conversation, um, a title I really like, The New Exodus. And if you haven't really caught on through the year of 2022, we've been doing things just a little bit different. And we've been having lots of exegetical conversations. We've been kind of picking some books and we've been walking through them. That word means, you know, looking at scripture and getting down to the roots of what it means, by the way. Um, And we've been kind of picking some books and we've not really done topical topics, you know, for conversations these past few months. We've been really diving into some books. And today we're starting in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And we're going to talk about those here in just a moment. But you know me, 
I don't think we can go a sermon without me mentioning one of my movies. So let's talk about one just for a second. Yeah, everybody's laughing and rolling their eyes. You know, I, I don't watch a lot of cartoon movies. You know, like a, there's some, you know, Pixar ones I think are really good. I don't watch a lot of them. But there's one series that I really enjoy. And I was going to get a picture, but like I said, me and the computer, we're just bad at it this week. So me and we're going to, me and it's, we're, we're fighting. But there's a movie um, called Despicable Me. You may have seen it before. Maybe your family or kids have watched it. It's hilarious. They've got the little yellow minions, and they make all the funny noises. I just love those movies. They're hilarious. If you've never watched it, um, it's, a, it's a funny movie. It's a family movie. It's about a criminal by the name of Gru. And Gru becomes a reluctant father to three orphaned girls. And these girls are so used to no one wanting them. Because they've been, you know, they're, they're orphan girls. They haven't felt loved the way that, you know, a child should feel loved. And eventually he becomes, you know, the father of these three girls. And, you know, they grow and they have their problems and, you know, here and there and et cetera, et cetera. But the problem is he's a criminal. And at one point in the movie, he would promise them that he would make it to their dance recital. But he didn't make it because his criminal things got in the way. And he it didn't end up making it to their dance recital. And this hurt the girls. By the end of the movie, he goes up to them, he reaches out to them, and he wants to build a closer relationship, but they push off. They're like, we're not going to come to you until you dedicate to come to us. And then finally, it takes that for them to eventually get closer. And when I think of that movie and I think of those stories, it reminds me of our relationship with God. And, and because Gru was not a good father in this sense, but yet we worship a perfect father, one that's always there for us, one that we can always go to because he will always come to us in return. Matthew chapter 28 says, In teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of age. You know, I'm not a dad. Maybe one, hopefully one day, you know, God will bless me and Jenna with children, but not today. And I pray that one day I can be that dad as well. One that, you know, holds on to the promises. One that's there when they need to be there. Not one that's reluctant. Not one that always avoids trying to go to the things. I hope, hopefully, you know, there's a relationship there that they look and, they, you know, they, they, they know that I'm going to be there for them and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because I don't know about you, but I hate it when I let people down. It drives me crazy. Whenever I don't hold up to something I said, maybe if I broke a promise, or if I ever, you know, uh, just if I let Jenna down, it eats me alive because I feel like in those moments, like, you know, I, I failed. It's like whatever it was, I just don't, it makes me uncomfortable. And I pray that I'll be able to do that. I pray that I'll be able to keep my promises and my words. Proverbs 11.3 says, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Church, our words are powerful. Our promises are powerful. And the reason we can worship God is because God keeps his promises. I didn't hear an amen. God keeps his promises. Amen. That's a good truth. But, but what about us? Do we keep our promises? You know, there's a quote that says, stand on your words more than your limbs. You ever heard that quote? Well, if you did, would you fall or would you stand upright? Because God keeps his promises. You know, you've heard me, you've mentioned this I've mentioned this before. I think I even hit it a little bit last night out at the camp. One reason people struggle with God is because they had such a bad relationship with their earthly father that why would I want another father? Like why, my dad let me down. Why would I want another dad? A lot of us, have, now a lot of us, you know, were blessed with great dads, but not everybody. 
And, and I feel like that's even the narrative in TV shows and movies. There's always the dad that stinks, right? I've got a list of them here. If you ever watched Homer Simpson, he wasn't known as the good dad. What about, you know, the dad from the movie Elf? Remember that? He was never there for the kid. He was always too busy working. We'll go a little bit. What about Al Bundy? He wasn't the dad he needed to be. What about Archie Bunker? He wasn't the dad he needed to be. Yeah, I had to throw some old ones in there. I got you. What about J.R. Ewing from Dallas? I've never watched an episode of Dallas before, but Google said he was a bad dad. So that's, well, there you go. Okay. I'm just being honest. But These guys didn't keep their promises. Mike, what's this got to do with Ezra and Nehemiah? This is a love story to us about how God keeps his promises. You know, this passage talks about, these books are talking about where the Israelites have been in exile um, under the Babylonians for many, many years. And God is now about to set them free because he's keeping his promises. And so that's what the narrative is going to be about. And these books are talking about what happens once they left, once they regain their freedom. But how do we get there? So buckle up. We're going to do whole Bible history in about three minutes, all right? So the world was created. When God made it, what was it? It was good. It was perfect. There was no flaws. It was fine until man messed up. Man messed up. Sin entered into the world. So a few years go by. The world is now corrupt. God sends a flood to purge the sin of the world. And then he sets up a new covenant with Noah. He says, hey, I'll never destroy the earth with flood again. And it's kind of a reset. That's kind of, you know, mankind, we do this throughout history. A few years go by, well, several years go by, a guy by the name of Abram comes around, eventually turned into Abraham, Abram and Sarah. God goes, he makes a promise to Abram, said, I will make you into a great nation. Your descendants will be a great nation. We then have the Abrahamic covenant that's set up. This is when circumcision, you know, comes into play. Thanks a lot, Abraham. Um, this is when all this, this, all this starts to happen. Out of Abraham's seed comes the 12 tribes of Israel, you know, the story of Joseph and all that family drama that we could have about 10 different messages on. Uh, and, you know, Joseph, he's sold into slavery, he goes into Egypt. His brothers, they come, you know, seeking help, and he blesses them. And eventually, you know, the story wraps up with a pretty bow, and the all, they are all now allowed to live in Egypt. Like I said, we're going quick. But then after living in Egypt for a while, the Israelites are getting high in number. There's a lot of them. They're getting, they're, they're starting to spread, they're multiplying, and the Pharaoh's getting worried that what happens if these people go against me? Now we've got a problem, so he enslaves them. This is how the Israelites go into slavery. And then we go a few years down the road, and then we meet Moses. Moses, you know, he was, he was raised under the Egyptian empire and had the intellect and the power and all that stuff. But eventually he flees until so God finds him and sends him back to set his people free. And then they begin a long, dramatic journey from Egypt to the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that God has promised them. And then we get to another covenant, the Mosaic covenant, whenever we get God's Ten Commandments that he's given us. A couple hundred years go by, we're introduced to David. We've heard of David. He killed a guy named Goliath. He later becomes the king of Israel. David has some sons. One of those sons is the name Solomon. Solomon was known as his wisdom and is known for his wealth. Um, but years go by, there's tension and bad leadership and people get in the way. And the kingdom of Israel starts to have problems and it splits in the two sections. The northern kingdom of Israel is known as Israel. And eventually, it splits in the southern kingdom, was known as the kingdom of Judah. More years go by, the northern kingdom is defeated by the Assyrians you've heard of. And these ten tribes that were part of that kingdom are now known as the ten lost tribes of Israel. A couple more hundred years go by, the southern kingdom of Judah has now been defeated 
by the Babylonians, and now they are in the Babylonian exile. That's how we get to, there was your Bible in three minutes, okay? That's how we, that's how we got to here. And so this is about, what Ezra and Nehemiah, this is about 500 to 600 years before Jesus, okay? There's your timeline. But about 1,500 years after Abraham and Sarah, okay? And, and these passages, these books, they talk about what happened after they're set free. You know, they're captive, they're in exile, they've been taken away from their land, and these books talk about what happens on their journey back to Jerusalem, their journey back to building up the kingdom again, and that's what all this is. This pa these passages focus on three main characters, three different guys. Two of them we'll talk more about than the other two, or other one. There's Zerubbabel, who he was known as the one who rebuilt the temple. Then we get to Ezra. He was known as the one who, he, he retaught the Torah. He led spiritual reform into the nation. And then we get to Nehemiah. He was known as the guy who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And these stories are great because they're really parallel to each other. When you read one, it's very similar to the next one. Maybe not in what they did, but how they did it and the problems they had. So that's really cool. All right, so let's read. We're going to be in Ezra chapter 1. This is how we got there, okay? In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold and with goods and livestock, with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the families of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, they prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. This is what's setting up the stage for the next few books. We see the king is now saying, all right, I'm, you all can now go. Look back at verse 1. It says that in the year of King Cyrus, to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, and he made this proclamation. There's very two thing, big things we need to take out of what we just read. That we are already seeing the fulfillment of two of God's promises. Remember, the whole idea of today is God keeps his promises. Okay? Let's look at what these promises were. The first one, if we rewind a little bit to the prophet of Jeremiah, we see in chapter 16 him prophesy this. But it will be said, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of the land of the north, and out of all the countries where he had banished them, for I will restore them to the land I gave their ancestors. That's a big deal. We just saw one of God's promises come true. There's a second one. Look at what the prophet of Isaiah says in 44. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and I will accomplish all that I please. He will say to Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and the temple let its foundations be laid. God keeps his promises. I, I, we, we can't just overlook that. These are passages that were written well before the times of Ezra and Nehemiah when God is literally saying, hey, this is going to happen in the future. <laughs> and we're reading about it unfolding. And this isn't just biblical history because biblical history is world history, by the way. We can read about this. 
These are God's promises coming unfold. These stories, like I said, they're, they are all parallel, and they kind of go into each other. But now let, let's look a little bit at Nehemiah. If you read through Nehemiah chapter 1, it's talking all about um, his prayer to God. Remember, Nehemiah is the man who went and he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And this whole prayer, if you read through chapter 1, it's talking about his prayer to God, his inspiration for doing this task and all that stuff. But if we fast forward to chapter 2, this is what it says. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. And the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried, it lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? So then I prayed to the God of heaven, chapter 1, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. And the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have the letters of the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple, for the city wall, and the residence I will occupy? And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king also sent army officers and cavalry with me. With the Sanballat and the Hornonite and the Tobiah and the Amorite official heard about this, they were, so, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. We're seeing God's deliverance happen of his people being set free. So why walls? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I understand why they would want to rebuild the temple. I mean, that's self-explanatory. I understand why Ezra would want to leave spiritual reform. That's, you know, self-explanatory. The people need to, they've been stuck in, they've been in exile. They need to relearn the Torah. They've not been taught correctly. They need to have this reform. But why walls? Why? Well, there's multiple reasons. There's practical reasons, and there's emotional and spiritual reasons. The practical reasons, are, I mean, it's very basic. Don't think too hard. Walls are there for protection. <laughs> If there's no walls around the city of Jerusalem, the city will fall again. What's going to keep another country coming and doing the exact same thing that just happened to them? The walls were there for protection against weather. Um, it, it was there against, you know, uh, you know, warfare back then is a little bit different than it was now. If you didn't have a wall, you would not survive. I mean, that was just, it had to be there for protection purposes. But there's also an emotional side of the wall. A wall was a symbol of power. It was not only a symbol of power, but it was a symbol of God's protection and God's deliverance for his people. This was a symbol that God has not forgotten about his people. Here, I am giving you what you need to survive. Think about that. The next time you sit down at home and you pray and you thank God for all you've given, think about those things and say, God, let this be a symbol that you've blessed me with what I need to survive. The walls, they represented all these things. In other words, God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. There's one other big thing I want to mention. You notice it doesn't just say the Israelites escaped. 
Notice that. It doesn't say that God's people, they found a hole in the system and they ran away. What's it tell us? It tells us that the kings, the pagan rulers, the pagan leaders, they were moved by God and they allowed them to walk free. Cool. There's a big point in this. God can use whoever for his glory. God does not just use the Christian for his glory. We are so quick at times to judge those who are different than us and who don't maybe don't go to church or don't even know God, and yet he can use them just as much as he can use you. Think right now. I might get in trouble for this one. <laughs> Think right now of maybe the political leaders in your life that you don't like, whether they're on the city, the state, the federal, the whatever level. They may not know God, but he can use them to his glory, even the ones that don't know him. I think that's powerful. I think that's powerful. God keeps his promises. I feel like the last few months I've been kind of I've beat up on people quite a bit in some sermons. Today I want to encourage you. I want to be encouraging today by reminding you of some more promises that God's not just made to his people, but he's made to us. These are very specific promises. Here's the first one. Something you need to know. There's nothing that can separate you from God's love. In other words, God's love is permanent. God's love is permanent. There is nothing on earth that can separate you from the love of God. Whatever baggage you brought in the door today, whatever baggage you're going back home to, whatever's weighing you down, it doesn't matter because there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Because Romans 8, 38, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody needed to hear that today. Because the last week has worn you down. God's not left. That goes with our second promise God makes us. God will never leave you. You may disappear for a little time, but he didn't go anywhere. God will never leave you. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, I will never leave you. Never will I forsake you. I mean, there's just times whenever I'm going through a rough season, I'm like, God, where are you? Ugh. I try not to talk about it a whole lot because I don't want to be the one, I don't want to do that too often. There was one time, you know, whenever my dad, whenever right before he passed away, I remember just being on my knees in the living room of my mother's house and just screaming, Why are you doing this? I was so upset and frustrated because where is he at? Why aren't you fixing this problem? But I was too immature to know that there's more things that are about to come. God's not left you. You may disappear for a little while. He's not gone anywhere. God will never leave you. Someone here needed to hear that promise. Here's a third promise you need to know. The one that I needed to hear that day. Pain is not forever. Your pain is not forever. It's not forever. Revelation 21.4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away 
We're going to have to work on our amens, church, or some scripture that deserve it. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old things has passed away. Amen. Man. Is there anyone today who's in pain? (laughs) Sorry. Getting a little emotional. (laughs) But it will not last. Someone here needs to hear that one. And I really bet you there's someone who needs to hear this one. Fourth one. God has offered us salvation. Salvation is available. Salvation is available. Romans 10, 9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart, God will raise him from the dead. You will be saved. Acts 2, 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. He wouldn't have given us instructions for salvation if he didn't intend on giving it to us, church. That's a promise he's given us. It makes me sleep better at night, (laughs) knowing that how imperfect I am, that it's still available. Is there anyone today who wants to cash in on one of those promises? Does anyone here today feel like God is just, he's left the building. He's not left. You're just in the wrong room. Is there anyone here today who needs to know that your pain will not last? Is there anyone here today who needs to really know that, hey, there's salvation available? Let's pray. Father, God, forgive us for being distant. Lord, forgive us for blaming you for our, the world's mistakes. Forgive us for blaming you for our sin. Lord, forgive us for disappearing. God, I'm so thankful for your love. God, I'm so thankful for the fact that you've offered us the gift of eternity. Help us to cash in on those promises. God, help us to keep our promises. And God, I pray that today, if there's someone here today who just doesn't know you, or they do know you, but they haven't seen you in a while, God, I pray that you work on them right now to make a decision to turn back to you. Father, I love you, and we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Is there anyone here today who wants to cash in on one of those promises? You feel like God's left, and you want to be helped turn around. I can help you do that. Is there anyone here today who would like to cash in on the salvation promise? Who wants anyone to stand up in front and say, hey, I believe Jesus is Lord. I want to be baptized. I want to be filled with the spirits. I want to know him. If that's you, I'd love to talk to you about that. You know, Genesis 28, 15 says, I am with you and will watch you. Excuse me. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you. Until what I have done, what I have promised you. God still loves you. God keeps his promises. Is there anyone who needs to make a decision today? I invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing. Whatever it is.